0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, would you please turn uh, to 2 Chronicles uh, there at the end of chapter 31, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 31 verse 20. Uh, And once you find it, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Again, our passage this morning comes from the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 31 verses 20 uh, all the way through chapter 32 verse 8. And it reads, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God, and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. After these things, and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside he built another wall, and he strengthened the millow in the city of David, He also made weapons and shields in abundance, and he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, "'Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles.'" And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we are here this morning because we need to hear a word from you. And we thank you for this passage that you had recorded so many years ago about King Hezekiah. But may we see uh, not just uh, King Hezekiah in the flesh, but how it points to the greater Hezekiah. So now, Lord, as I stand before this sacred desk, may the words of my mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, for you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So no kidding, there I was. It was a Sunday after Thanksgiving, 2011. Uh, we were stationed at Fort Bragg at the time, and uh, we, were, we had some friends from seminary that uh, we would go and stay with in Charlotte. Now, Fayetteville, where Fort Bragg is at in Charlotte, about three hours away, And we would drive over and stay with this family, dear, dear friends of our our wife and I. And um, we were getting ready for church. He was a pastor of an EPC congregation, uh, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And uh, he's a solo pastor, and we were getting ready. They had four kids, of which a couple were teenagers. We only had Madeline and Bethany at the time, uh, and, and they were younger. But he says to me this statement, as we're all getting ready, six kids, four adults, to get ready to go to church. He says, now begins the witching hour. And as a parent, especially now that we've added two more kids and those two are boys, I could not agree more. And that statement has paid dividends uh, in the 11 years since it was spoken. Now, I know for those of us who are still in the throes of young child parenting, uh, we get it right, that Sunday morning is the witching hour. For those of us whose kids have left the house, right, there's a little bit of a revisionist history that go on, right, because you're like, oh, wasn't it great when we would all gather together to go, you know, to churches and to other folks, let me tell you, uh, you're, you're leaving out, you're painting pictures of Egypt, all right, you're leaving out uh, what it lacks, because it is the witching hour. Matter of fact, uh, one uh, particular Sunday as Sarah and I were finishing our trek uh, to Trinity, and it was a very uh, memorable shall we say, uh, event in the car. I looked at Sarah and I said, remember when we were single and how it was just easy to get ready for church? As if going back into the past was really going to help me follow Jesus in that moment. Uh, But it it was one of those things where you're like, and it's like, yeah, because as I thought back, right, on when I was single to get ready for church, the worst I could come up with was losing the fight with the razor in the morning and getting blood on the collar of my shirt which forced a last-minute wardrobe change. And of course, because I'm, I'm immature, right? You get, hung, yeah, whatever. But it got me thinking, it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this hard to get to church. I mean, it's not like we're going to play golf. It's not like we're sleeping until 10 o'clock and then going to brunch. We're going to church. We're going to worship the Lord. It shouldn't be this hard. But it is. And in preparation for this message, it got me thinking, what are those other things where it shouldn't be this hard. The other things where you're like, you know, I thought we would have a little bit more of a carefree existence. Where you say, maybe it shouldn't be this hard. You're faithful in your devotions and your quiet time to serve the Lord. You're faithful in coming to church, but yet you still doubt your salvation. You still struggle with assurance and you struggle to feel that the Lord is near and you sometimes think to yourself, shouldn't be this hard. You're faithful in your career. You do your job and you do it well, but yet the promotions don't seem to be there, and, and uh, you find yourself getting ostracized for your faith. You're thinking to yourself, it just really shouldn't be this hard. Or maybe for some young folks in here, you studied for that test, but you bombed it anyway. And in my academic career, I can give you some stories about that. Um, because it, at, the test actually covered the part of the material that you weren't too, uh, you know, didn't have a good grasp on. Thinking maybe it shouldn't be this hard. You were faithful in taking college prep courses for the, for the SAT and the ACT, but you didn't get the score that you needed to get into your, to your dream school or to get that scholarship that was going to help pay for school, and you're also ostracized for your faith. You're faithful to be a good spouse, but sometimes your marriage feels like you know, you're more roommates than husband and wife, thinking to yourself, it shouldn't be this hard You're faithful to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but yet some of them walk away from the faith, or maybe they don't have a relationship with God, or it's not where you know it should be. Or you you think to yourself, like, no, I raised them better than that. And sometimes you think it shouldn't be this hard. So what do we do when life puts us in those types of circumstances? Well, we go to 2 Chronicles. Because right here, Hezekiah is in the same situation. And so this text today gives us a few things that we need to keep in mind. One is that, and you'll see the the breakdown in the bulletin, that we need to remember that we're in the fighting season. We need to remember that we're in the fighting season. But we also need to remember that we have to do our duty. So we're in the fighting season, we have to do our duty, but yet there's also the king's speech. And the king's speech is there to encourage us to fight on. So we're in the fighting season, we have to remember to do our duty, and finally... The King's speech. Well, Christians, whether you knew it or not, when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you entered into the fighting season. Now, you may be sitting there saying, Well, Chapel, what's the fighting season? Well, I'm glad you asked. The fighting season, according to Ricky uh, let me see his name, Matsumoto, who's a research analyst, describes this it's the term used to describe the seasonality in armed offensive by which different militant groups, in particular the Taliban, um, operate. In other words, it boils down to this, that at certain times of the year, the Taliban would be more active than at other times. And that makes sense. Afghanistan uh, is a very mountainous region uh, and mountains typically have bad weather. And so we, w- we always talked about like the spring offensive. And his article actually would argue that when you look at the raw data, there was no really difference in, you know, when um, the Taliban would have different, uh, you know, different actions during our, our time in Afghanistan. And as an inf- former infantry battalion chaplain, that didn't, you know, anecdotally, the fighting season never bore itself out. You know, IEDs don't know uh, the calendar. And so, uh, but my point in bringing this up for the Christian is that we are always in the fighting season because we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil that are always at work against us, sometimes in unison, and sometimes our biggest enemy is the person looking back at us in the mirror. And that's the rub of why we need to remember that we are always in the fighting season. And that's why this text is so good, because we tend to think that if we're faithful to do that all God has done, perhaps then we will get a reprieve from the fighting season. And that's what we we, we see this here. And if we're not careful, we can misread the end of chapter 31, where it says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all of Judah. He did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord, his God, every work that he undertook. In the service of the house of God, and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart, and he prospered. But if you've watched enough Disney movies, there's no happily ever after. Because in verse 1 of chapter 32, what do we get? After these things, and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against a fortified city, thinking to win them for himself. And as I sat in my morning devotions back in December, i like, that'll preach. (laughs) That'll preach. I don't know when I'm going to preach it, but that'll preach. So here it is, right? We're in the fighting season. And our efforts and the things that we do does not give us the so-called blessed life. Yes, he prospered. Yes, it does. In general, life does work. You get what you put into it. In general, yes, it is true. But it is also true that being faithful to God means that there's some Sennacheribs that are going to come against you. Hezekiah is doing what he is supposed to do as king of God's people in verse 21 and saying that he's prosperous. It's not a small thing, okay? But if we're not careful, we fall into making the end goal prosperity. In other words, the end goal, meaning this somehow just comforting life, Alright, my pastor, uh, when I was in seminary, he'd say the, the four foundational idols of the heart. You know, are, are power, comfort, control, and approval. That all sin can be boiled down to those things. And so, some of us we follow, we follow God, thinking that we can get comfort, that we can, you know, it's just, it's just going to be, you know, you know, smooth waves and and you know, lots of casserole and just and just great things. And that's just not how the Christian life is going to go because we are in the fighting season. We are in. The fighting season. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The phrase, it shouldn't be this hard, betrays a quid pro quo understanding of the world. What I mean is that at one time or another, we all fall into this trap of thinking that if I do all that I am supposed to do, that God will give me this blessed life, that I will have, in the words of a popular book, uh, that I don't recommend, your best life now that God would be pleased. Of course, if we did all that we were supposed to do in thought, word, and deed, then God would absolutely be pleased with us. The problem is we don't do all that we are supposed to do in thought, word, and deed, and therefore, apart from Christ, God is not pleased with us. However, Christ did. He did everything in thought, word, and deed that he was supposed to And if your faith is in him and only in him, then God is pleased with you. That is true. Right now, if you're in faith, in Christ, in Christ alone, God is pleased with you, full stop. God is pleased with you. He loves you. He cares for you. He pleased with you. So in other words, don't interpret when Sennacherib comes against you, whatever that looks like, nor did Hezekiah interpret Sennacherib coming against him as God's disproval. That's why I love how the chronicler puts it, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. This foreshadows the new covenant, where you can do the right thing and get the wrong result. And that's what it's like to live this side of heaven. That's what it means to live this side of Christ. Let me give you some biblical examples. John the Baptist did what the prophets were supposed to do, right? He called out sin, and he got beheaded for it. Stephen testified to the Lord, to his goodness, and actually even said of the prophets, which ones did you not persecute and kill? And he got stoned for it. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, if you would ever love to have some, a characteristic, of you know like to be on your tombstone, the disciple whom Jesus loved got exiled to Patmos. They did not get what, being faithful, we would think in this kind of like, you know, if I put good in, good's going to come out. No, that's the new covenant. That's the new covenant where we understand that because Christ died for us, right, we're not greater than our master. He suffered, we will suffer with him because we are in him. But that doesn't mean he is displeased with us. Yes, they suffered in the flesh, but all three got the victory because they were in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we are to disregard the commands of God, but it does mean that our heart motivation needs to be right in doing them. Said another way, we need to do our duty because we have God's favor, not to earn God's favor. It's a daily struggle because our hearts are deceitfully wicked, but that's what it means to be in the fighting season. That's what it means. That we're always in this sense of like, okay, I did what was supposed to do, but this happened against me. That's what it is to, to live in this world. We live in a fallen world. We are not home yet. We are not in the New Jerusalem. We are still on the other side of the Jordan. All right? We're not there yet. There will come an end to the fighting season, but it's not now, saints. It's not now. We gotta fight on. And how do we fight on? Well, we have to do our duty. How do we do our duty from a proper heart motivation? Again, we do it because we know we already have God's favor. That's settled. That's secure. At the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgiveness went forward from the cross. We know that we are forgiven, that sin has been paid for, that we stand not guilty in his sight, that not only his active obedience in living a perfect life before God the Father, but also his passive obedience in, in suffering and dying on Calvary's cross has paid the penalty for our sin and given us all the credit we need so that God, when we stand before him, when this life is over, we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But we're in the fighting season, so that means we still have work to do. We still have work to do. It is important to note that grace does not negate our responsibility to follow the law. It doesn't negate our responsibility to follow the law and so, or to do what God is calling us to do in a particular situation. Notice now starting in verse 2, Sennacherib is coming against Jerusalem to win those cities, coming against Judah to win those cities for himself. Verse two, and when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city. They helped him. A great many people were gathered and they stopped all the springs, the brook that flowed through the land saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the walls that were broken down, raised towers upon it and outside he built another wall he strengthened the millow in the city of David. He also made weapons and shield in abundance. He set combat commanders over the people. In other words, he prepared for war because he understood that he was in the fighting season. He still had work to do. Now, many of you, in your jobs, when you took over those jobs, there was a duty description for your job. That said, "This is what you know we're going to hire you, and this is what uh, we expect you to do." And I, I am no different. And if my mom was sitting here, I'd actually read you my duty description, so that way she'd be like, mm, that's my son. It, it's a bunch of technical <laughs> stuff, but it, would sound, it sounds really important than what it is, and my, wife, my, my mom would be like, "Oh, that's my boy, but I will spare you. Uh, I will spare you that." But why do I mention that? Because Hezekiah had a duty description. He had a duty description, and all you need to do is go back in the previous chapters to see what that duty description is. You don't have to search for it. If your Bibles have section headings, it's going to tell you. In chapter 29, he cleanses the temple. Once it was cleaned out of all the filth that Ahaz had allowed in, Hezekiah restored temple worship. In chapter 30, the Passover is celebrated. This was the first time since Solomon was king that both Israel and Judah together were celebrating the Passover. So that what did that mean? He united God's people after they had been apart for a good many years. In chapter 31, he organized the priest. That's a worshipful function. Now he's in that priestly role. And at the end of the chapter, we get the summation of all, His reforms, that he did it with all his heart and he prospered. Listen, obedience is its own reward. He was doing what God had called him to do. Samuel told Saul, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Hezekiah wasn't special, and neither are we. This is why Jesus in Luke 17 said, well, how many of you having a servant, once they come in, we're like, hey, sit at the table and eat with me. No, 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 no. Fix my food, and then you can come in and sit after we eat. And if you've watched Downton Abbey, you know they have to serve the folks before they actually uh, go. And, uh, and yeah, I'm a big Downton Abbey fan. I'm a big, there's a new movie coming out in May. I'm a big Downton Abbey fan, all right? And so Romans 12, which we just went through a few weeks ago, right? This is your, we are to live living sacrifices, reasonable service before the God. For Hezekiah, that was to do what God told him to do. And that is what he was doing because that's what the king of God's people is supposed to do. Now, many kings, if you've read through the Old Testament, Many kings, you know, some of them, you know, he, you know, he did what was, you know, was wrong in the eyes of the Lord or he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, okay? Many kings got he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not every king that did what was right gets compared to David, but Hezekiah did. Hezekiah, so he, Hezekiah didn't just do right. He did right like David did, his father. That puts him in a special, special category. What, what is God calling you to do? What are the roles that he has placed you in? Husband, wife, mother, father, employer, employee, daughter, son, student, teacher, so on. Now ask yourself, what does faithfulness look like in those roles? A good rubric is asking how you can show the fruit of the spirit in that role, or you can use the greatest commandment uh, or the Beatitudes. All of it can be summarized by asking, how can I show the love of Christ in the roles, in the positions, in the duties that God has called me to do? Because there's always going to be that temptation to say, in those roles, it shouldn't be this hard. And when we say that, we're actually saying that somehow, yes, God is pleased with us because he's pleased with us because we are in Christ. Not pleased with us in our own effort that we try to do in our own strength. Our good works are as filthy rags in his sight. But in Christ, our good works have an aroma, a pleasing aroma That Ephesians tells us he has prepared in advance for us to walk in them. In our text today, we get the world opposing Hezekiah, Sennacherib representing the world. And yes, this is easier said than done. And we don't get a happily ever after ending. Most duty descriptions, though, include contingencies. All right, And so I will read part of my duty description in this report. It says, on order, serve as the medcom chaplain. In other words, that should something happen to the medcom chaplain, you are to serve as the medcom chaplain. Well, my boss up and retired back, <laughs> back in December, so now I am the medcom chaplain. That, that contingency, it's in my duty description. And so for Hezekiah, it's no different. Notice in verse 2, he didn't sit around and say, well, you know what? Being king of God's people shouldn't be this hard. I did everything that I was supposed to do. Why is Sennacherib coming against me? No. It says he went, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water, you know, that was coming into Jerusalem. Folks, I honestly think this is the biblical origins of bring your own beverage, BYOB, okay? This is the, you know, and they came came against, you know, they were going to come against Jerusalem and Hezekiah got together and said, this is the Lord's water. This, this isn't Sennacherib's water. This is the Lord's water. He better bring his own because he's not drinking this. This is the Lord's water. He can't, he can't have any. The point is that he went about preparing his people for war. If you want to know what that looks like, we're seeing it in Ukraine. We're seeing it in Ukraine with, uh, with President Zelensky when he said, I don't need a ride. I need weapons. I don't need a ride. I need weapons because this, this is worth fighting for. This is worth fighting for. He understood, Hezekiah understood that he's got to do, this is part of his duty, that there's going to be things that come against you, that you're going to be opposed either by the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're not going to get the comfortable life. That's not for this side of the Jordan. You see, now, there's something missing from the text, though. There is something missing from the text. And if you know your Bibles, you know what it is, right? Because everything that's in Chronicles was actually is also in First and Second Kings, And what does 1 and 2 Kings tells us? Well, in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles, it says, when he saw that Sennacherib intended. Why is that significant? That he said when he saw that Sennacherib intended to come against Jerusalem? is because in 2 Kings, the writer of 2 Kings tells us that Hezekiah tried to buy him off. All the temple reforms that he did in cleaning out the temple, Hezekiah took all that gold, all that stuff, and tried to pay tribute to Sennacherib to get him to avoid. In other words, he did exactly what we would do in those types of situations of let's see how much I can control my situation to bring me that comfort that, I, that, I, that I'm trying to get. Maybe if I just you know, put some gold on it, then I can get Sennacherib to go away. So now it does beg the question, is the writer of 2 Chronicles deceiving us? The answer is no. Why didn't the Chronicler mention all that? Not every truth needs to be shared, or needs to be re- repeated. The Chronicler would have had access to the King's narratives, to the, to the narratives from First and Second Kings, but he opted not to put that in because his point is to encourage and edify. In other words, we don't in every situation. Like if I ask my kid, like, "How was your day?" All right, or "What did you do today?" I don't need all the details of like, "Well, first I got up and opened my eyes, and then I started breathing." Well, actually, I'd been breathing all night, but now I'm aware that I'm breathing. And my heart kept beating, and then I got out of bed, and then I came, and I got some hot chocolate, and then I, you know, I don't need all that. I'm just, I just need the highlights, all right? I just need the highlights. I don't need all that detail. And that's exactly, the chronicler is trying to say, listen, I don't need to tell you everything that Hezekiah did, the good and the bad, all right? Yes, he tried to buy off Sennacherib, and it failed. And so All the chronicler is going to say is, when he saw that he intended, then he got to work in planning. So perhaps you are here and discouraged because you've tried to control those situations where he said, you know, it shouldn't be this hard. And so you've tried to control it. You've tried to do things to try to make it better, to mitigate those circumstances. Maybe you've fallen into serious sinful actions or even sinful thoughts or attitudes. Well, you're in good company because Hezekiah did too. Hezekiah did too. That's a great encouragement. All of our sin, though, was handled victoriously at the cross because the blood covers all of our sinful actions, thoughts, and attitudes. Isaiah 43, 25 is true. It says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions and for my own sake will not remember your past sins. Or Psalm 103:12: as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Yes, you have a duty to show Christ and act Christian in every situation you encounter, but you're not going to do it perfectly, and neither did Hezekiah. Hezekiah understood, though, it was still his duty to do those things in leading God's people, and he did it first by planning, but then planning wasn't enough, so he had to speak to them. And so we have to understand that we're in the fighting season, that the fighting season, just because we came to Christ, we're not, getting, we're not getting this easy life. But then also, so we have to still do our duty, but we got to hear from the king. We got to hear from the king. And so finally, we, what is the king's speech? Well, on September 1st, 1939, World War II began when Germany decided to invade Poland and, and France and England had said, if you, if you do one more act of aggression, Hitler, it will be war, all right? And so on September 3rd, King George VI, uh, who was the reluctant king who had a stuttering problem, uh, addressed the entire British Empire. And this was actually, you know, uh, dramatized in the movie, The King's Speech. But this is what he said. He said, in this grave hour, perhaps the most fateful in our history... I send every household of my peoples, both at home and overseas, this message, spoken with the same depth of feeling for each one of you, as if I were able to cross your threshold and speak to you myself. For the second time in the lives of most of us, we are at war. And then he goes on, and he finally ends with this. I asked them, ask them, meaning the, the British, British subjects and, and the British people, all across the empire, I ask them to stand calm and firm and united in this time of trial. The task will be hard. There may be dark days ahead, and war can no longer be confined to the battlefield, but we can only do the right as we see the right and reverently commit our cause to God. If one and all we keep resolutely faithful to it, then, with God's help, we shall prevail. So before you get anything from Winston Churchill. And he was a great orator, maybe the best orator of the 20th century. We got the king's speech. Great speeches, though, are not thought up in a vacuum. They are often necessitated by circumstances. Having planned with his advisors and ready the people, now is the time to address the troops. He's equipped them. Now he must encourage them. And what does he say? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah. Now, some of the most precious words in scripture are, I am with you. Isaiah 41, 10 says this, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Notice from verse 6 that they are in the square of the city. In other words, he knew, Hezekiah knew, and all the people knew how much, as we would say in the military, how much combat power he had, how many troops he had, how many weapons he had, how many shields he had. Yet he still said, with them, Is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. In other words, there's more with us than there is with them. Again, the king's narrative is very helpful because the chronicler also does not give us the detail of how God brought about the deliverance. That when they went out, an angel went through the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian troops. I don't think there was 185,000 citizens of Jerusalem and Judea in that city gate. But yet, they were called to walk by faith and not by sight. And that is the same call that we have this morning, this day. Christians, please know that whatever circumstances you find yourself in, that would have you exasperatingly calling out, it should not be this hard. You can face it. You can be strong and courageous before whatever is your Sennacherib, whatever that situation is that looks daunting. Why? Because the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Well, let's hear, the king, let's hear some king speech from the greater Hezekiah, the word of God, Jesus Christ. He says this in Matthew 28, I am with you even to the end of the age. There it is again. I am with you. Or in John 6 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Why is that significant? Because if you're feeling like, well, I've tried to control these situations and I've fallen into sin, or I haven't done it right, I haven't had a good attitude, I haven't done this, you can come to him. Why? He's gentle and lowly. Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest because I love you. You were bought with a price, you are mine. Don't let fear keep you away. Jesus said, I'm gentle and lowly. Take heart. It is I, he said. Do not be afraid. As we sang and How Firm a Foundation, what more can he say to you than what he has already said? You who to Jesus for refuge have fled. These are not my words. These are Christ's words. William Branch, who's a homiletics professor at Southeastern Baptist Seminary in North Carolina, says if we don't stay talking Christ and learning Christ, we will leave Christ. That would be the equivalent of Hezekiah standing there and saying, be encouraged, be strong and courageous. And somebody saying, you know what, Hezekiah, not it, I'm gonna go out to Assyria. No, 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 don't do it, don't do it. No matter how attractive the world may look, no matter how attractive those sins may be, that when we try to control, don't do it. The Lord is on our side. How do we know? Because the cross tells us he is on our side. He already fought and won the battle against your sin on the cross. So that what's the hard day of parenting or a hard day at the office or a hard day at school when Christ has already said, you are mine, you are forgiven, I love you, I care for you. Hear my words. Be strong and courageous. You can face it. We can take confidence and be encouraged because our king has spoken to us. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we know as sure as the day is long, many of us will not even get home before we have to put this message into practice, might not even get past the parking lot. Because maybe we don't encounter the world, maybe we don't even encounter the devil, but we will probably encounter our flesh in some form or fashion. But we thank you that even in those circumstances, we can be strong and courageous. Be with us now to apply this text deep, deep in our hearts, to hear the words that you have spoken to us, so that we can be strong and courageous and show your love in whatever situations we find ourselves in. In Jesus' name, amen.